Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Amen. How are we? We warm? Well, if you get cold, because my hands are icy up here, I know it's a little frigid in here. If you get cold and you need to spontaneously stand up and do about 10 jumping jacks and sit back down, it won't throw me off because I won't be paying attention to you anyway. All right, so feel, feel free to do what you need to do. Uh, my name is Pastor Joey. For those of you that are new, see some new faces today. We want to say welcome. So awesome that you chose to spend some time with us this morning. As we continue in our Christmas series, we're just kind of looking at some of the characters of the famous Christmas story and kind of diving into their story to see what it was like maybe before they met Jesus and then what it was like after they met Jesus to kind of find some hope in, in our story. And as we are going through our Christian lives, our lives seeking God and, uh, and trying to uh, discern maybe what God is doing in our lives. See, usually when we read the Christmas story, we stop at the, the manger and the three wise men. Right? We don't really go much further than that. If you read uh, the Christmas story in a Bible storybook or a kid's storybook, that's usually where we stop. But believe it or not, the wise men didn't show up for about two years after Jesus was born. So if you, if, you didn't, if you think about the story, Herod asked the wise men, when was the first time you saw the star? And they said, about two years ago. Which is, so it took them about two years to discern the star and travel, follow the star to find out where the baby had been born. So that's why Herod killed all the babies two years old and younger. Because the wise men weren't there on the first night. So we, we kind of gloss over some of the details and we just think about the movies or, or the pictures that we see and we miss out on some of the meat that God has here and what he wants to show us in this story. And so we're not told much what happened in between the time Jesus was born and the time the wise men show up, but we are given a few snapshots about what happened uh, with Christ in the in-between time. See, just shortly after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, in agreement with the law of Moses, they were Jews, so they followed the Jewish law, in agreement with the law of Moses, on the eighth day, they had to have Jesus circumcised. And that's when they actually gave him his name. That was the Jewish tradition. They there was a naming ceremony at the point of circumcision because circumcision symbolized being united in the family of God. This goes all the way back to Abraham thousands of years before. So on the eighth day, he circumcised in fulfillment of God's word and God's command to Abraham. But before we read what happened next, shortly after Jesus' birth, after this circumcision, we're, we're going to talk about Mary today. Mary is one of the most significant characters of the New Testament uh, and in the Christmas story. You got to talk about Mary. But I want us to kind of think about what Mary's life was like before Jesus entered the picture, before the angel encounter, before the shepherds bust in just after she gives birth. I don't know if you want to you know, picture that scene, but if, if you're a mother in here, you know how awkward it is in the hospital in a sanitary environment with 15 people you don't know staring at all the places they shouldn't be looking and, and delivering a child. You know how awkward that is, let alone being a, a young girl giving birth in a stable amongst cattle and animals and a bunch of strangers bust in and want to hold your baby. I mean, that's, it, just think about it, right? Where This is the condition she was in. So before all of that stuff, Mary, she came from a little town called Nazareth. And on a website called thejesusstory.net, describes Nazareth a little bit. It says, Nazareth lay in the hills 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. It was very fertile land. Archaeological excavations showed just how small the city was. But every bit of space was used effectively. It was built on porous rock, and so as well, the buildings were made out of the same porous rock. Above the surface, they were, um, and under the surface of the ground, there were underground cisterns where they held water, vats for oil, and silos for grain. And in the entire city, there was only one single ancient spring for water. 
So everyone had to go to the same place to get fresh water. It was a conservative town. They clung to the traditional Jewish culture when the cultures and cities around them were kind of converting to the, the Greek or Greco-Roman culture of the day, more um, defecting away from their original faith. This town remained traditional. It was populated from about two to 400 people maximum in this city. So everybody knew each other. And probably everybody was related to each other in some way. So it, that common greeting, hey cuz, was probably true in Nazareth. You were probably related in some way to the people in Nazareth. So everyone knew each other, extended family, clans. It was a physically robust, strong-minded, practical uh, people. They were blue-collar workers, low income, but they were respectful to traditions and loyal to their family. So this is what history has told us about this little town. So you have to put Mary in the mindset of someone coming from this location and put yourself in Mary's mind. So Mary, at the time we are introduced to her, she's already betrothed to her husband-to-be. Again, in this culture, it's just like being married, except without the physical intimacy. She stayed in her father's home while the husband prepared a home for, them, for her, and then one day he would come when everything was ready to collect his bride, and then they would be completely married. But they are legally married at this point. Now, in this culture, a young girl becomes a woman at puberty. So that's when they become of marrying age. So Mary is most likely between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. So again, put yourself in her position. Think back to when you were 13 to 15 years old. Grown-ups, some of you in this room are already in that spot. You're already married at this point. Can you believe that? Like you're, you're already in this place of, of your life. It's safe to say that if you just put yourself in a 13-year-old's mind, I'm sure she was heavily involved in her father's farm. Again, they were a blue-collar family. There was a lot of cultivation, so she's probably out morning and night working with the, on the farm when chores were done. She's probably talking to her friends about what guys she thought was cute and who might make a good husband, even though she was betrothed. They, you know how women are and how they talk about their men. Come on now. Yeah, we got a situation over here. That's an inside joke. We will gladly bring you in on if you ask. Amen. But her dreams of the future. Think about a 13-year-old to a 15-year-old's dream of the future. What, what would be going on in her head? In her culture, it would probably be low-income woman in her father's home. It would probably be to marry somebody that would help her grow up or move out of the station she's in in life and do a little better. Back then in this culture, if you were married and you had children, you were considered blessed by God. If you were unmarried or you were barren, you were considered cursed. So, so for every young girl, her dream is to marry a man and have lots of children because in this culture that symbolized being blessed by God, being fruitful. There are psalms that talk about happy is he whose quiver is full, who, who's blessed by the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. So if you have no children, you must not be favored by God. So her mindset not only is to honor her mother and father and, and work hard, but it's to raise and have a family that would lift her out of maybe the station in life where she is. Maybe do a little better than what she was born into. But girls in this time period, their dreams for the future, again, are not like the dreams of kids in, in our day. Like going off and having exotic vacations or extravagant experiences, going to prestigious schools and getting scholarships in sports. Back then, see, girls weren't educated. The boys were. And so girls didn't get to go to school. They didn't get to, you know, have the same experiences as men did. They were relegated to the home. And so here, the best that she could hope for was just doing a little better, having a husband that could take care of her maybe a little better than the way her father was able to. And not to mention, at this time, the nation is under the control of the Romans. So they're not even a free nation. 
their nation is being dominated by another country. It'd be like, like China or Russia coming into America and being in control. Longing to be free, but being subject to someone else or some other nation. So here we have this conservative town, this low poverty town. And here, probably dominating her mind, this young girl is just worrying about what life might be like after she is married. How would she survive? How would they provide for their family? Where would they live? I mean, everyone knows everyone. So if they couldn't provide for themselves and they had to move back in with their parents, what would people think? What if I can't get pregnant? What are people going to think about me? And at some point in her life, Joseph enters the picture, enters an agreement with her father to marry Mary. And now she is facing a new phase in life. From being a kid not just not long ago, being a child, to now being a wife, starting her own family. And so this is where she is. This is her mindset. This is her whole reality. And then one day, God... Have you had one of those moments? You've got your whole life planned out. You've got all this stuff. And then one day, God shows up. The angel Gabriel shows up in her life. And the first thing he says in Luke 1, 28 and 29, he appears and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And she responds, confused and disturbed, trying to think about what the angel could mean. Now, greetings, woman. You are favored. That's not really hard to understand. There's three words. Right, favored woman. But yet she is confused and disturbed. That phrase confused and disturbed means to agitate greatly. She was extremely concerned with this greeting. Put yourself in her position. You're telling me I'm favored? Look at my life. Doesn't feel like favor. Matter of fact, if this is favor, maybe go favor somebody else. Come on now. Have you seen where I live? Have you seen what we go through every day? By the way, you know the Romans? Yeah, they're still here. But the angel proceeds to declare, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son you will name him Jesus, and he'll be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how could this happen for I'm a virgin? And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. And what's more... Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Do you believe the word of God will never fail? He will never fail. So what's important to note is Mary asked the angel, how is this going to happen? If you remember, Zechariah had a similar response. When the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple and said, you old guys are going to have a baby. And he's like, how's that going to happen? <laughs> right? But the difference between the two, and we can see in the response of the angel, is Zechariah did not believe it could happen. Mary just wanted to know how it was going to happen. So it was a different response. Still both incredible. The angel tells her that Elizabeth is pregnant as a sign of what he said will come to pass, giving her confirmation that he's not just blowing smoke. And then Mary responds in an incredible way. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Again, think about what just happened. The angel is telling her, God is going to supernaturally give you a son. And she says, I am the Lord's 
servant. May everything you've said about me come true. You have to know, Mary knew full well that this whole thing would not be received well. She was engaged to a man already, and this baby would not be his. In a town where everyone knew everyone else. And they would know this wasn't Joseph's baby, or maybe it was, and they're just not saying. She'd be ridiculed, shunned, possibly even stoned to death according to their religious law for breaking the law. And the hopes that she had for a better life being married, you know in a moment, she knew, was over. Putting her dreams, potentially being smashed because of this moment, may mean the end of her marriage. You have to know, she knew that. And this is why I think drove Mary to go see Elizabeth right away. God said, she's pregnant. This is your confirmation that what I said is going to happen. So she leaves right away to go visit her cousin to see firsthand that what the angel said was true, that she wasn't crazy, that she didn't just agree to upend her life in a single moment for nothing. And she goes to Elizabeth's house, and the two of them, the moment they see each other, have a supernatural encounter with God. Elizabeth begins to prophesy and tell Mary, hey, you're pregnant, and you're pregnant with God. And she's like, oh, how'd you know that? And then Mary, like, gets overwhelmed in the spirit and begins to sing. She begins to uh, proclaim this psalm of praise. In Luke 1, 46 through 48, she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And she is blessed. The blessed mother of our Lord and Savior. Now, again, think about what the angel just told her. Your son is going to be the Messiah, the ruler over Israel. What do kings have? Money? Power? Influence? Authority? In verse 48, we just read, God took notice of this lowly servant girl. But now, all nations, all people will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. Why weren't you called blessed before? But now, everyone's going to call me blessed. Why? Because I'm the mother of the king of kings. The mother of the kings are well taken care of. Now she knows the next phase of her journey won't be easy. There'll be some stuff to go through. But with the Messiah, everything will be all right. All the prophecies will come true, and she's going to get to share in the glory of the Lord. You know, this is probably going through her mind, too. She's a human just like the rest of us are. We can't, like, put these people on a pedestal they don't belong on. She has sin just like everyone else. So she'll get to share in the glory of the Lord. This would be going through all of our minds. The Messiah means the end of my struggles. This is what the nation of Israel was believing for. They said when the Messiah comes, Rome's going away. Our nation's going to be restored. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever experienced. This had to have been going through her mind. And I think even today we think the same thing. If we just give Jesus our lives, if we dedicate ourselves to him, we let the Messiah come into our lives, then he's going to take away all of our problems. It's all going away. Like mentally we were like, no, that's not true. But don't we do that? Like when we're in a moment, we're praying. It's like, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? This is Mary. And of course, we know the rest of the story. There's no room in the inn. She's given birth next to some cows and some sheep. The shepherds bust in, the wise men later, the star, and the whole nine. And again, in this culture, after the baby is born, circumcised on the eighth day, The mother goes into a time of ritual purity, gives her time to heal. And so she has to segregate herself 
from the rest of the, the people. She relegates herself to her home or to a specific place. And at the end of the time of purification, the law also required, if it was a, a son that was born, a firstborn son, that the firstborn son had to be dedicated to God. So after her time of purification, Joseph and Mary had to take Jesus to the temple, leave Bethlehem, go to the temple, so that they could dedicate Jesus to the Lord and offer the proper sacrifice. So they're in the temple offering this sacrifice. And, and I don't know if it's just a running joke, but they don't ever get any privacy in this story. So they're, they're given birth, and here come the shepherds, right? You know, now they're dedicating Jesus at the temple. And then walks this crazy old man named Simeon. So he's, he's this old guy. Now Simeon, he walked with God. The scripture says the spirit was upon him. He was a prophet in his own right, not like the prophets of the past, but God was using him in a powerful way. He even promised Simeon that Simeon would not die until he saw the Lord's salvation, until he saw the Messiah. So God gave him this promise. So his entire life, he's been living, waiting to die. God will not give me peace. I will not experience peace until I see the Messiah. Have you ever just longed for your struggle to be over? Just asking God, God, could I just have some peace in my life? It'd be really awesome right now to just have some peace. And this is Simeon's predicament. So that day the Spirit led him into the temple, and there he saw Jesus. And as soon as he saw him, he knew that he was seeing the Lord. And in Luke 2, 29 through 35, he begins to prophesy over Christ and speaking to Mary and Joseph. He says, the sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised, for I've seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He's the glory of your people, Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him, right? Like, put yourself in that position. You're, you're there, you're doing what God wants. This old guy you've never met before, before, comes in and be like, dude, it's the king of kings right here. This guy is going to be awesome. How amazing is it that he's going to be a light to the nations. And now you're thinking about everything the angel said, but this is going to be the Messiah. You're thinking about Elizabeth's prophecy that this is going to be the Messiah. You're like, oh man, we got something good going on here. This is going to be amazing. Unlike anything we've ever seen. So they're wondering this miraculous moment is fanning the hope of Mary into flame that her life is not going to be like it was. But then Simeon turns to Mary. Verse 34, after he blesses them, he says to Mary, but the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very own soul. In the original language, that word sword means a javelin. It could also be a spear. And we know one day Jesus has a spear thrust into his side at his crucifixion. So what's he saying? He's telling Mary... As she looks in the face of her son, the Messiah, the King of Israel, the one who's going to bring the glory of God to earth, the one who's going to make everything okay, in a second, not only is Simeon shattering her hopes of her life ever changing, but he prophesies, your son is going to be killed and you're going to watch him die. And at that very second, another character comes into the story. A prophetess named Anna, who has spent all her time at the temple, day and night. She was married for seven years. Her husband died, and she goes to the temple and never leaves. Fasting and prayer, worship, year after year. And you have to ask the question, why would she do that? Maybe she did it out of grief and desperation. Like, God, what now? Just like Mary, my whole life has been centered on marrying a husband and, and having a better station in life. And now my husband's dead. Who's going to want me? I'm now a widow. And most likely she was childless because it says nothing about having any children. And in that day, if she had children, she would have just gone to live with her children. But she didn't. She goes to live in the temple. So now she's a widow and she's barren. And now she has this stigma upon her. 
But instead of wallowing in misery, wandering the streets, she puts her hope in the Lord and committed herself to pursue God day and night, fasting and praying day and night, worshiping in the temple. And you just have to know that this was motivated at a sense of, of just desperation for God. God, why me? What now? What are you going to do with my life now? Well, like, what's the purpose of my life now? Like, I thought it was being a wife and maybe having a family, but that's gone. So what's my purpose now? How do I define my life now? And I know some of you might be able to relate with that because there are many widows in our faith family. Thinking, I thought this is what you wanted for me, God, but now my whole life's turned upside down. What do I do now? And then in a moment that interrupted her daily routine, she sees Jesus and knows in her heart that he's the answer to her years of petitioning God. In Luke 2.38, it says, She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God, talking about this child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So she sees Jesus, and she just erupts in praise and goes and becomes the first evangelist the Bible's ever seen, just goes, tells everybody, the Messiah is here. The answer, the one we've been praying for, he's finally here. And the question is, why was she so excited? Well, Jesus in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, he says, the pure in heart will see God. And, and I just love how the, the Bible brings these things to life, because when you've been through some hard stuff, it's like refining fire. When you've been through things that, that cause you to be broken down, you really have two options, run to God or run from God. If you choose to run to God, it's like refining fire. He begins to show you things about yourself, about life, to draw you close, to teach you how to have a relationship with him, to hear his voice. And you become more connected to God intimately in the struggle, in the valleys of the shadow of death. The more your trust and faith grows, and the more your trust and faith grows, so does your level of purity before God, because to be pure before God has nothing to do with what you do, has everything to do with your love and faith in Christ Jesus. The more you love God, the more you trust God, the more pure you are before the Lord. So this woman went from serving her husband to petitioning God day and night, fully devoted to fasting and prayer, never leaving the temple, interceding, pleading, interceding, pleading, as if she understood that her healing, her breakthrough could only come from one place, the hand of God Almighty, that only God could give her purpose. And what's interesting is Anna, her name means grace. And in the scripture, it's not just Anna, the prophetess, it's Anna, daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel means the face of God. So here you have a prophetess whose name means grace, her father's name means the face of God, as if to have prophesied at her birth that by grace this woman would see the face of God. Amen. Amen. You're not too young. Shout it out. Be a leader. Matter of fact, that's an example. If God's speaking to you, let it out. I think this is such a powerful thing. Because here in this moment, years of intercession, she finds her purpose. It's not to wallow in the temple. It's to go proclaim Jesus to the nations. To go tell Jesus, or talk about Jesus to everyone. So she went from hiding in the temple to now being bold and proclaiming about the Messiah. So here in this moment, again, Simeon is having a powerful experience with Jesus. Anna is having this powerful experience with Jesus, life-altering experience. But can you imagine what's happening in Mary's heart? We have this great, exciting word. It's the king of kings, the one we've been waiting for, to the most devastating news of her life but your son is gonna be murdered and you're gonna watch him die. And I can imagine as she's getting this news and Anna comes in and is interrupting everything going on and she's turning to go proclaim that Jesus is here. I mean, put yourself in Mary's spot. Wait, no, 
No, this is my son. There are people that are going to hate him. There's people that are going to want to kill him. How about, how about you be quiet? How about you quit telling people about my son? Why don't you shut up? Because I need to protect my son. I need to guard him. He's my son. He's my child. If this is going to happen to him, maybe we shouldn't tell everyone about this. Maybe we should keep this quiet. You see, here we have two responses, really, to three different encounters. The old man couldn't die until he saw Jesus, and Jesus brought Simeon peace. The old woman had no purpose until she met Jesus, and now the grace, seeing the face of God, she finds purpose in her life. He finds peace. She finds purpose. But what about Mary? Mary finds pain. It's pain. Now, we only like happy endings, especially in the church, right? We, we, we like to focus on the good stuff, like trust in Jesus and all your problems will go away. Matter of fact, if you send in your million-dollar check, you know, you'll get a million-dollar blessing. You see some of that garbage. I got, if you believe that, I got a prayer rug that'll buy you, a, you know, some property in Alaska. If you, I'll sell you real cheap. You see, Mary wasn't promised peace. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Did you know the cross was specifically designed to inflict pain? Matter of fact, it was so terrible that they had to come up with a new word to describe it. And that's where the word excruciating comes from. It means from the cross or something to that effect. And here Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Mary wasn't promised peace. She wasn't promised purpose. She was promised pain. And her life was filled with struggle. You can continue to read. She is shunned from her community. She has to travel to Bethlehem. So at a young age, leave her family home to go to another city to give birth in a stall with animals, lay her son in a manger, which was a feeding trough for animals, take the king of kings back to live in poverty every single day until one day the king finds out about Jesus and decides he's going to kill him. So now they have to leave in the dead of night at no notice, no preparation, no bug out bag, just hop on the donkey and go all the way to Egypt, now living in a foreign country where she's never been no hope for any type of wealth or success or security. Only for a couple years later after the king died, God tells them to go back. And instead of going to Bethlehem, they go back to the very town where she was born, where she grew up, the town of Nazareth. Back to the stigmas, to the people who knew her situation and the false beliefs about her son. To struggle. To the social pressure to the dreams of never getting out of that state of destitution, to the deep grief knowing that one day her son is going to be killed right before her very eyes. Things are not going to get better for her, but they're going to get worse. I mean, how many of you, that are your parents, when you see your child suffering or sick, wouldn't do anything to trade places with them? How many of us have prayed prayers like, God, not my kid, do it to me, but not my child. But here, there's nothing she could do about it. How would you feel knowing that you're going to have to watch your child suffer and die? All the while knowing it's God's plan. It's God's plan. Do you think she had that in mind when she prophesied that all the generations are going to call me blessed? No. She didn't know. What did the Holy Spirit mean when he declared that she would be called blessed? Why did the angel say that she was highly favored by God 
knowing that God was calling her to endure such difficulty? I think Jesus gives us the answer in Matthew chapter 5 of what it means to be blessed, which is different than what we have in mind when we think of being blessed. And I can only imagine as he's giving this at the pinnacle of the greatest sermon ever preached that he probably had his own mother in mind. And people like her, people like you and like me, who live day after day in struggle and heavy burden, and especially those who are struggling on his behalf. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 3, God says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will show mer be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the very same way. What we think about being favored and blessed is different than what God thinks about. The reason why Mary is called favored and blessed, though I don't think she understood the full weight of what God was calling her into and what she was agreeing to. I believe this teen girl whose life had been decided for her by others wanted a pretty normal life in all respects. She was given a chance, a decision by God to partner with him in redeeming the world. But it would mean giving up the life she'd planned for herself and what she expected, maybe even wanted to accept a life that would be filled with heartache, struggle, and pain. But it would end in ultimate glory. When Jesus fulfills everything the prophets have said about him, and he sits on the throne of David. One day, beloved, he is coming back. One day, he is coming back. And her yes to God opened the door for God to bring salvation to the whole world. You see, we all want peace. And we all want to discover a great purpose. But do we want God's will to the point that we would accept the pain? To literally surrender our lives, our dreams, our hopes and plans to God, knowing that it could mean a life of hardship. Because following Jesus doesn't look like a padded house with a large 401k. It looks like taking up your cross. See, what Mary understood through her life more than most in her lowly state was how to see the beauty of life, how to appreciate what you have, to not take your next meal for granted and to appreciate God's blessings. And most importantly, to see God's hand at work in the middle of difficult circumstances. See, she discovered that God truly is near to the brokenhearted. The rest of her prophetic song in Luke 1, I don't even think she knew the reality of what she was saying when she said it. But she said, for the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. So he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud, the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away with empty hands. Yes, beloved, God did do good things for her. See, for Mary, it's not just the works of God that she got to see as Jesus did his ministry and did all the miraculous things, but beloved, she got to see God in the flesh to be closer to him than any human being has ever gotten to be. God grew in her belly. God shared her blood, her oxygen, her DNA. His DNA came from her DNA. 
you can't get closer to God than sharing DNA. And see, I firmly believe the life of total surrender is a life that gets to be closest to God. In John, in his letter, he says not to love the world or the things in it because your heart becomes torn, and a torn heart is a heart that really doesn't love the Lord the way it says it loves the Lord. A heart that will long for God but not get to experience Him because you're really pursuing other things. All the world's promises of wealth and success and comfort and security and fun and experiences. But when we look at what the world has to offer, and yet we turn to God and say, not my will, but yours be done. No matter the cost, just as Mary did, I am the Lord's servant. I'm your servant. When we commit ourselves to be purified and tried like Anna. And when we remain faithful no matter how long it takes. Like Simeon. Even in the pain. We will find purpose. And we'll experience God's peace. Because we'll experience God in a way no others can. And will. In the way others hope and dream, God's grace will be evident in our lives because it's his grace that's sufficient for us. And his strength works best in our weakness. We will have God's favor. Why? Because he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the humble. And for those who love him, he works all things together for our good. Somebody say all things. You know that word all is a, it's a booger. Because it means all. The good and the bad. Mixes it together. And makes something beautiful out of it. He makes a miracle out of our mess. See, Jesus made Mary's life physically and emotionally harder Beloved, the Christian life is a hard life. It's a hard life. It's a great life. But it's a hard life. Serving God is hard. Why? Because everything in the world is pulling you the other way. It takes sacrifice and surrender to stay submitted to God. And Jesus made Mary's life physically and emotionally harder, but spiritually richer. And in glory, in eternity, none of the struggles in this life or the pain we experience are going to compare to the reward and what God has prepared for his people. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, for our present troubles, somebody say present troubles. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Your present trouble and struggle is not as big as you think. Because this is only 70 to 80 years on a timeline that never ends. Yet there is a glory you're going to experience in Christ that will be so massive you won't even remember this moment. It's a blip on the timeline of eternity. And what God has for you, beloved, is worth the wait. See, whatever God calls us to in this moment, whatever we're going through, it may not feel like it now, but he is writing a story with our lives that will reveal his glory. And the people who our lives touch, and the miracles of God he'll be able to perform if we lay our lives down and surrender. You see, it won't be wasted hurt we experience because one day we'll see how our sacrifices were used by God. How just getting through the embarrassment of sharing Jesus with someone we've never met led to countless thousands of people being saved. How not pursuing the career we wanted to 
follow Jesus into another career opened the opportunity to many to find help, healing, and breakthrough in their lives so that God's will can be done, others can be saved. You see, for that, Mary is blessed, not simply by God, but by everyone whose life she touched, which includes us. And the list keeps growing. For everyone, Mary's responsible for changing. It continues to grow. Every time someone turns to Jesus, Mary gets a little notch in glory because of her moment of surrender and saying, I am the Lord's servant. If you surrender to the Lord, whatever his will is for your life, you too will be blessed no matter what you go through or what you're going through now. The wait is worth it. The struggle will be worth it. And even the pain will be worth it. And you'll see. Why? Because God's worth it. Jesus is worth it. And he has a reward for you that outweighs any sacrifice you're going to make. Again, beloved, following Jesus isn't easy. It's one of the hardest things we could do. But it's always worth it. He's always good. And he'll never abandon us to struggle alone. So there's a purpose in your struggle today. No matter what you're going through, there's purpose in it. And if you surrender to his will, I believe in Jesus, you're going to find peace. In the midst of the pain, and one day when he comes, when we see him face to face, all our trouble will be over. Jesus said, just before he left, in this life you'll have many troubles and trials, but fear not, for I've overcome the world. Jesus came to give us hope and strength to hold on. And we can do it, no matter what we're going through. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you in this moment. Lord, I thank you for Mary's example and her life. God, I thank you that in a small moment, this young girl out in the middle of nowhere said yes to you. And God, I just pray her example would inspire us that no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what we're struggling with personally, we are not alone. We are not abandoned. But we are covered in grace. God, I pray that today, your church, this church, but your church worldwide, would capture a heart of surrender. To know that when we surrender, we're not losing something. We're gaining everything. We might be letting go of things in this world, but we're gaining eternity. We're gaining a glory in eternity with you that outweighs anything we could discover or have on this earth. Lord, I know that there are people who are heavy burdened and heavy laden today. There are people that have been following you for a long time like Simeon, just longing for some peace. I pray, God, that they would receive a fresh wind today. I pray for those, God, that are like Anna, who've had devastating circumstances in their lives and are just racked with grief and just pain and struggle, trying to search for purpose. They had all this stuff planned out, and in a moment, it was all gone. God, I pray that today that they would surrender and find their purpose in you, Jesus. That there's no greater purpose than to live for Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I pray for those who are in the midst of pain. Lord, this world is broken, and there are things that we're going to go through that are going to be very difficult. But God, you are the breakthrough God. You are the healer. You are on your throne. You are in control. You are great and you are always good. And we have a promise that though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because you're with us. And your rod and your staff comfort us. You might prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, but God, you're anointing our heads with oil and our cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, you are worth the wait. 
And I thank you, you've sent us the Holy Spirit that we can get a foretaste of that future glory in the here and now as we follow you, listen to your voice, as we partner with you in ministry. And God, I just pray for the hurting. I pray for the oppressed. I pray for those who are in spiritual darkness and bondage, God, that the light of Christ would shine even now. God, if there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, that's been bogged down in religion and needs an encounter with your Holy Spirit, that today, God, that they would give their lives to Jesus. They would say, God, no more is it going to be my will, not my will, but yours be done. I'm your servant today, now and forever. God, for those who are struggling with health, God, that your mercy would flow and your grace would flow and your healing power would flow like that river of living water. God, for the discouraged, I pray, God, your prophetic word would be proclaimed as you speak truth and hope and identity over those that are struggling with discouragement today. And for the next few moments, God, as we sing, as we pray, and as we respond, that Jesus, you'd get all the glory. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as Tony leads us. If you know today you need to give Jesus your heart, you need a relationship with God, don't wait. You come down to, and we're going to invite you to experience a relationship with Christ for the first time in your life. We would be honored to pray with you. It'll be the most important decision you've ever made. If you need Jesus in your life, you come right now. If you're dealing with discouragement or maybe you're going through some stuff and you just need a family, a faith family member to lift you up in prayer, you come. Come on down and we're going to pray with you and break some of this stuff off. If you're battling discouragement, if you've if you're got spiritual stuff going on, you've got dark thoughts in your head, you come. And we're going to pray with you and over you that God is going to do a work in your life. Whatever is going on, you come and our prayer team will be down here. If you remain in your seat, let's just stay in an attitude of prayer. You can sing along and let's just cultivate that atmosphere of worship today. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God.